The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. All right. Let's pray for this morning. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the beautiful weather we've had this weekend. We thank you for the parades and all the different things that have been happening over Kitsap County, and we thank you that we get to celebrate you together this morning as a body. I pray that we would be so just in love with you, God, that our walks would show that to those that look on and to those we do life with that they would come to a real knowledge of Jesus. God, I pray that you would be with us this morning. Help us to understand and love your word, and as a result, help us to be obedient, God. We love you. In your son's name, amen. So we find ourselves this morning rounding out the second full month of our sermon series entitled, Be Different, Paul's Letter to the Ephesians. And if you recall, we have been talking about primarily what it looks like to be and live different. That's why we gave it that name. And our intro this morning is this. God is calling us to be a different kind of people a holy people. Holiness is a quality that uniquely belongs to God. Being a different people means that our primary identity is part of God's holy family. In the book of Ephesians, Paul gives instructions on how to live as holy people in a world that often doesn't like our kind of different. That's our intro. And so I thought I would start this morning before jumping into our topic with a story. And so I first professed faith in Jesus at the age of 14. It was the summer of 1998, and I have to admit that I wasn't fully bought in by any prayer, nor was I easily convinced by a set of clever words. It still seemed kind of weird to me. However, what really did it for me was when I read through the book of John and I became enamored by the person of Jesus. I saw the God-man Jesus in action, his character, his interactions with people, his love for those in lower places, and the miracles that he performed. This made all the difference to me. But from the moment that I professed faith in Christ, And even today, I have always had this deep longing or undeniable thought that God wanted me to preach and teach his words. I had no clue when or how that would happen, but I believed that was what Jesus had for me. The realization of this, or so I thought, happened around 2002. I hadn't been out of high school very long. 
I went to a huge concert festival in Wisconsin. It's in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. It's called Life Fest. And I saw what I believed at that time, an incredible evangelist. Today, I see this person more as a motivational speaker. This man was bearded. He had a pierced lip. He had a lot of tattoos. He wore a vintage belt buckle, which I did that back then. And he sometimes swore. So, of course, I bought his book. The man spoke a great deal about grace and, length, and the length and the willingness that the church should be willing to go to reach people. He left me kind of feeling empowered. And so when I left, in my mind, he was probably the greatest voice of my people. I left thinking that I was so sick of being judged at the time because I had my fair share of piercings, tattoos, and I cussed and smoked cigarettes. I was so sick of being judged because of those things. And before you throw rocks at me, I was much younger and I was kind of full of a lot of angst and I still had just so much to learn. But... Out of that feeling that came about at that conference, at that event that I was at, at the concert festival, the Stand Ministries was created in a little town called Newark, New York. I would go to Christian events, whether I was invited or not. I went to big town events and even some concerts, both Christian and secular. I would pop a table up with cards and pamphlets and t-shirts and merchandise, wherever I could drop a table. And man, I looked official. I would get decked out in my trucker hat. I had all my facial piercings and jewelry looking nice. I wore controversial band tees, stuff that said like religion kills and all sorts of crazy stuff like that. And I went out to preach what I thought was the true message of God. I spoke often about grace for everyone, missing that it was God's grace for God's purposes. I also spoke about God's deep love for everyone, no matter what they were doing or experiencing, missing that God's love was so great that he wanted people to see him as holy renounce their sin, and commit to a life worthy of the calling that they would receive from Christ. I had a few flashy phrases, and I had a lot of interesting stories, but if I boiled it down to reality, it wasn't truth, or at least not complete truth. It wasn't until a freelance writer in Sodas, New York, at one of my events, she had come with one of the Christian bands that played for me, asked me if I had realized I was condoning sin and not leading anyone into any sort of accountability. It stopped me dead in my tracks. I think I argued and called the woman ignorant and probably a bunch of expletives, which is not part of the fruit of the Spirit. I used to swear every other word, if you guys could just imagine that. 
So when the youth in the center are like, I can't stop swearing, I'm like, yes, you can. You sure can. If I can, you can. But was this my calling? Obviously not. Because the stand lasted maybe a little over a year. I didn't know how to run a ministry, nor did I understand the life that would be worthy of the calling that Jesus was going to give me. I had a couple ideas, but instead of consulting and listening to God, I thought I knew better. We do this sometimes. We tend to attach to things that give us happiness or meaning or purpose, whether they're good or bad. And we often will label this as our calling because it feels good and we just want to do the things we want to do. We tend to gravitate towards what seems cool, flashy, or brings us some sense of notoriety because we want to feel important. But if it falls short of a life worthy of the calling you have received from Christ, then it is not your calling. I know that the stand ministries wasn't my calling because if I were honest, I don't even agree with half the stuff I was saying, probably not even 5% of it today. Because it offered a low view of God's holiness and it elevated the acceptance of sin. And even though I started to stand and believed that it honored God at the time, I fortunately came to a strong realization that what I was doing was not worthy of the calling that Jesus had placed on my life. And that is where I want you to wrestle this morning. The big question I want you to ask this morning is, how do we know that we are living a life worthy of our calling And the big idea this morning is a worthy life involves unity in the spirit and using the gifts that you have received from Christ, from Jesus, to build up the body. And we're going to do that by looking at Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, and then we're going to break it down together. As a prisoner for the Lord then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. 
until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. <laughs> Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Some things to point out. Right off the bat, some things to point out. It's a letter. It's meant for a wider audience. We can't think individual when we read this passage. We just cannot think individual. Because it is to a bigger group. It's literally to the Jews and Gentiles that are at church in Ephesus. Paul is literally in prison for his obedience to Jesus. He says, I am a prisoner. Or as a prisoner of Christ. He's not a prisoner of a jail cell. Of breaking a law. He is a prisoner because he remained obedient to Jesus. That's important to mention. Paul is using that as encouragement to the church in Ephesus to live a life worthy of the calling in which they received. Be the church. Emulate Christ in your behavior, providing proof and adding truth to what has taken place in your life. I am in jail, but even so, continue to live like Christ. Right? He's not using this as like, now I'm afraid. I'm afraid to be a Christian now. He's not doing that. He's fueled now to tell people because he's convinced even more so that what he's in jail for is true. So live this. Verse 4 through 6, the word one is used seven times next to a list of commonalities. And that's what I'm going to call them this morning. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. Verse 7 through 8, Jesus has authority and power because of his work, death on the cross. He ascended, descended, ascended, you know. He came to earth. He died. He rose. Power and authority came from that. Jesus was the one who set our leadership in place. If you look at 11, you see apostles, pastors, evangelists, teachers, which some of us are called to be, um, to equip the body. Verse 16, when the body is functioning correctly through love, it grows and it becomes sustainable. So I've already mentioned it just a little bit, but it's important to understand that Jesus is the one who calls us. Jesus is the ultimate and supreme authority in the universe, and we see that in the passage itself, the only one who is able and capable of giving us a true calling. The name Jesus is the same name that it says in Scripture, one day every knee will bow and tongue confess his Lord. So our lives should be lived in obedience to the calling that he has given us. 
our obedience to Christ ultimately will lead to a life worthy of calling, especially the calling that he has placed upon us. And so in these three paragraphs we find in Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, we will see what a life worthy of the call of Jesus looks like. The first two paragraphs will give us two responses, and the third is going to illustrate what life worthy of a call of Jesus looks like as experienced in the body, the church. So the first thing I want you to see as a worthy response is unity in the spirit. So Ephesians 4, 1 through 6 I just kind of want to narrow in on the third verse. A worthy response is unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. I find it remarkable that the first verse speaks of Paul being a prisoner. And when he addresses the church, he tells them to work towards the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Bond here, if you remember, when somebody's in prison, especially back then, they were in bonds on your wrists, on your ankles. You were locked down to your prison, right? So a fastening or being chained to something, it was more than clever language. Paul who more than likely has bonds on his hands and feet holding him to this cell, is telling the church to be fastened to peace as they make every effort towards unity of the Spirit. Peace. This isn't hippie peace. This is peace, being able to live with one another, walking with one another. Verse 2, right? Humility, gentleness, patience, forbearing. And we're going to return to that. That's how you walk in that. Unity of the Spirit. Which we'll talk a little bit about that. Unity is a funny word. Because the word unity defines as oneness. Paul is telling the church to commit to the oneness of the Spirit. So that's a bunch of people coming into oneness. I was talking to Susanna this morning, and I was like, you know, they say one is the loneliest number, right? And I was like, what if one, oneness, is the highest thing we can become in Christ? We always hear about people calling for peace and unity, but this isn't an easy task in our culture. The idea of needing someone else or depending on others is seen most often as a sign of weakness, we celebrate the success stories of those who have pulled themselves up by their bootstraps. If we want a job done right, we do it ourselves. We take credit for our ideas without giving praise to the teams that we are a part of. It's like Pat said a few weeks ago, we're so good at separation. We like to be separate from each other. We have songs about it. There was a hit song in the 90s. It was an alternative song. I stand alone. Who remembers it? I mean, you probably still bump it. It's still, it's still, it's a, it's a bop. It's a beat. However, if you have purposely spent your life separate from others or the life you live creates that separation, you may not be living a life worthy of the calling you have received. 
The idea of hanging out with people at church used to repel me. That's kind of a weird thing to say. And I'm sorry if that hurts your feelings because I love everybody in this room today. I was so quick to see differences in people and instead of celebrating the differences and how we work together, I used to see them as ways to divide. I mean, think about it. What we find in church is diverse. We have different cultures. We have older people. What do I have in common with older people? We both get mail from AARP. <laughs> Younger people. People who love TBN. Only listens to worship music. I want to bump hip-hop personally. Single parents. Parents with lots of children. People who love to be healthy and eat right. I want to eat 20 chicken wings and watch fighting on television. Not only are there real obvious differences outwardly, but we also have different abilities, gifts, and skills. Some people are good at art. Some are great with technology. You know, I could ask Bob how something works, and I think when we go 20 minutes in, I'm done. I'm tapped out. I can't handle it. My brain can't handle it. But I love Bob, and I love that he can do that. We're just different. I was kind of looking for my tribe. That's what they call that in today's world, when you're looking for people with similar interests and things like that. But the people that I was meeting at church were the farthest from that in my mind. But when I really looked at Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, it opened my eyes to the fact that in our differences, we have everything in common. Everything. I want you to look at the person next to you, and I want you to say, if you are in Christ, we share something. And what is it that you share? One body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Oneness is what we share in the body of Christ. If you are here and profess faith in Jesus, no matter whether you are a woman or a man, or you are black or white or indifferent, if you like sports, you hate sports, you eat fast food, you only eat vegetables, if you are in Jesus, you have all of these things in common. And they are far more exciting and eternal than anything else. You cannot have a stronger connection. Jesus is the head of the body, and there is one Jesus. We together, if our faith is in Jesus, make up one body that works as the action and love of Christ amongst the body and the onlooking world. We have the same spirit inside of us, convicting us of sin and drawing us close to the Father. We have one hope of raising in a resurrection like him and spending eternity with him. We have one Lord who went to the cross and died to give us freedom of our guilt, shame, and sin. We have one faith that was attained through a gift given by Jesus. Grace provided by the Father. 
one baptism that was overseen in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when I was reading about it, it said the word sanctioned. And I like that because they always say this bout is sanctioned by. Your baptism is sanctioned by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the triune God, which is one. One God. I love that. You know, I asked Sam, I said, Sam, is there more gods than one? It's a catechism. They're learning catechisms upstairs. And he says, no, Dad, there's only one true God. And I love that. And that is the God we serve together, that one God. We last but certainly not least have one God and Father who is over all, through all, and in all, the Father of creation, the Father of those who have been brought into the family of God, and the one who works through all and in all those who call on his name. We share these things. This crosses divides and differences. If you're looking to find your tribe, your tribe is here. This is your tribe. The big church is also your tribe. But for Kitsap County, this is your tribe. But how do people recognize these commonalities and live together? Because what we see oftentimes isn't a rallying around these things. We see gossip and slander and murder of character and hate, right? Or um, arguments that shouldn't even matter online. You go online and you see social media and you'll see two brothers that you really respect just arguing back and forth. And I, I'm like, how can that possibly honor Jesus when we're called to a unity of spirit? Why would you even put that online? If I cared what the world thought, I would stop reading my Bible. You would too. Right? So it's like, make the main thing the main thing. What are we unifying around? What is the commonality we share? What is truly important? And all that little stuff, we can, in humility... In gentleness, in patience, in love, have conversations privately to bring about maturity and growth. You don't have to call someone out. It's just, it's, it's foolishness. And it's foolishness to call anyone a fool for their thoughts like that. Because what do we do when we're calling somebody a fool? We're becoming in danger, right, of the fire of hell. Especially somebody we share something like this with. Talk gently, patiently, forbearing. Like, let's do this together, privately. If we're living a life worthy of calling, humility, gentleness, patience, and being there for one another, that should be our greatest aim to prove that our lives are worthy of the calling we've received. We realize that while we are different, we make up the pieces of the body and we need to care for our body. When you break your arm, you go to the hospital and you receive a cast to heal the fracture. When a part of the body has ceased to function as it should, you don't cut it off. You do everything in your power to restore it to its natural health. We will literally... Do anything. I have met so many men at tables who have cut off a finger and they're like, I got it sewn back on. Can't bend it, but it's still there. 
right? I can't bend it, but it's still there. I did everything to save that. But in the body or gathering of believers, when we express humility and gentleness to one another, we end up encouraging each other and continuing to strive towards Jesus. They become stronger in the body that operates in full functioning capacity, offering humility and gentleness in a cycle that leads to a strong and sustaining faith. And we are called to do this in patience, bearing with one another. This means as many times as needed. I think about how funny it is being a parent of a small child, how we end up kissing the same boo-boos over and over and over again when our kids fall down. We don't place a limit on that. They continue to fall down. They get hurt. We continue to open our arms. We speak tenderness and love over them. And what we've done is facilitated a place where they can continue to run to when they're in trouble. They aren't scared to tell the truth and tell us what is hurting them. What's happening is they're asking for mercy. This is what it should be like in relationship with one another. If we are living a life worthy of the calling we have received in Christ, we will also, out of our unity in the Spirit, through the bond of peace, facilitate a place where others will continue to run when they are in trouble. Come near and receive rest. That's what we're offering people. Cast your cares on Him so that He can give you the strength you need. Does the unity that you live in with others offer that to the body? If not, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. This leads us to the next worthy response we find in this passage. And it is to use your gifts to build up the body. But to each one of us, if we look at Ephesians 4, 7 through 13. Um, grace was given as a gift. So it uses the word grace and we're going to interchange that word there and use the word gift. So when we see grace in verse 7, we're going to use the word gift. Jesus is the giver of the gifts we have, the abilities and skills each of us have are given to us by Christ for a specific purpose. Each gift was given in the measure that Christ has divided or allotted. That's what the word apportioned means. And every one of us has been given a specific set of gifts. He did this through the power of his death, resurrection, and ascension. He was able to give us these gifts because through those acts of, through those acts of love, it gave Christ everlasting authority and everlasting power. Look at Ephesians 1.23. For above all rule and authority... Nope. Is that Ephesians 1.23? Maybe I scribbled it wrong. Um, nope, I'm not going to do that. Okay, anyways, I was going to look it up real quick, but we're good. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. That's everlasting authority. Colossians 2.15 and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Everlasting power. What we see next, right, 
in the passage, it talks about the ascending, descending, but it says that he took captives, which means he was breaking the bonds of sin and shame, and then in turn gave gifts to his people, his people being the body, those that are his. As a result, the body is made up of many members that can now perform many functions. I want you to think with me about the practicality of that. And this is going to be kind of a fun little exercise for us. What would the refuge church be like without cinnamon greeting those entering on Sunday with a smile? Or what would our church look like without Rue leading us in worship or Nate? Or without the Bergs sharing a fine home-cooked meal out in the country with several new people to make them feel at home and welcome? I know Mark and Melinda do that type stuff too. Or Megan arriving early to ensure that we have a smooth setup, chairs put out, coffee served, sermon notes printed. Are these not gifts that were given to the members to build up the body? I was thinking of this uh, laminate, and I can't remember who made it, but it's like a layout in here, so that if you are ever stuck, you can put everything back to where it goes. Somebody recently made one of those, but also made, this is what a complete setup looks like. This is what it looks like to put everything away. It is so helpful. What an important piece of the body. We can't all be the smiling door greeter. We can't all be the one leading worship. We can't all be someone who invites somebody to hang out. We just don't all have those personalities. But that isn't the end of the gifts. Christ gives us apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, which have been called to equip the members of the body. Why? For two distinct reasons, and we see it here. So we reach unity in the faith and in knowledge of the Son of God, and two, we become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. As a body... When we are functioning properly, each one playing his part, we come to a series or set of similar convictions about what it looks like to live like Christ. This makes us stronger in the faith and less easy to persuade to follow anything other than the true gospel that has been given to us. Colossians 1.28 tells us about that gospel. He is the one we proclaim admonishing and teaching everyone in wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. He is the one that we proclaim. It's Jesus. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. His fullness. So we see following Jesus as a way of true life and become worthy of our calling he has given us in him. That is that maturing process. It's not maturity for the sake of maturity. When maturity happens, we're so excited as people. When we meet immature people, we want them to go away. That's, I mean, our world does that. A lot of times people that have not gotten to the maturity that they need to be, they get tossed in a treasure trunk and they're forgotten, right? A complete identity together in him, becoming the fullness of him who fills everything. 
growing in maturity, our Christ-likeness, so that we live the identity out collectively with one another and we grow to maturity, that the very body of Jesus is actualized and recognized for its love and great compassion, not only within the body, but also the onlookers. And we know about that because when community of faith was being built in the Bible, there's passages about this where people started to live that out with one another. The onlooking world saw and numbers were being added. So let's just quickly look at Ephesians 4, 14 through 16. This is some pretty amazing imagery. It's like, what is the result of living a life worthy of the calling we've received from Christ? It's a mature and well-developed body. If you've invested in this life worthy of the calling you have received from Christ, you are experiencing unity of the spirit that is held together by the bond of peace. And you are using your gifts for the building up of the body. But before that happened, before you realized that, before the body was something you drew strength from, you were like an infant. You were immature. That immaturity we talked about. It's talking about an infant tossed back and forth by the waves. And what I kept seeing was a little kid, helpless. <laughs> no one's out there. And the waves are just crashing against him. And he's going back and forth and back and forth. And they might be able to bob for a while to gasp for air. But eventually they would succumb to waves. That, that's scary. That's sad. They would scream, they would bump into rocks or be susceptible to all sorts of praying animals. They might scream for help, but the help would soon be replaced by a gargle of water as their legs would tire. They need someone to rescue them. An infant needs the body. We needed the body. We are the body when we are living a life worthy of our calling. The reality is... Infants need protection from all sorts of things. They need constant guidance. An infant cannot care for themselves. Oftentimes an infant cannot discern between a good idea and a bad idea. It made me think of my son Sam. I love picking on my kids. Sam will eat snacks on the couch sometimes. And if he gets bored, he will throw a Cheeto behind the couch. Now, he didn't spill the Cheeto, he threw it there on purpose. I've caught him doing it. I'll ask him why he threw the Cheeto behind the couch, but he'll say emphatically, I don't know. Sam doesn't have any clue that this is how you get bugs in your house, or that food that makes its way in the cracks and crevices of your house or underneath your couch will rot and grow mold. He just knows he doesn't want the Cheeto, and in his mind, it belongs on the floor. He hasn't learned the truth about what happens to the Cheeto yet. So I can either scold Sam, and I can yell at him, and I can say, don't do that! And scare him, make him wonder if I truly love him. Or I can slow down and talk to him about what really happens when you drop Cheetos behind the couch. Sam, we don't throw Cheetos behind the couch because it causes rot and mold and it's very yucky. 
And I love you and I want you to know that so that you will not throw Cheetos behind the couch. In the same way as the body, we are to do that with the people that we're in relationship with. The reason that I'm addressing this in your life is because I love you. And I want you to see Christ as the worthiest calling you will ever have. This is the part we see in verse 15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. What would happen if someone who loves Jesus but struggled with something came in here and they wanted to be free and they just started talking to you about it? We share everything in common, remember? Will we approach them in peace or are we going to approach them demanding behavioral modification for that moment? What would the body look like if we responded like I did with Sam, explaining a greater plan and why God desires them and what he desires from them? What a difference it could make in our lives knowing that we have a life raft in the body when we are struggling. We need each other. We were made for each other. That's part of the story. We need each other to speak truth to each other and to hold each other up so that we can grow in strength and walk confidently in Christ. And that's kind of that verse 16. And it's kind of, it's, it's really gross. I think it's gross. It's an imagery, but it's gross. It reminds me of like one of those health class body statues where you like see all that stuff on the inside, the organs. And the body has a very interesting makeup, right? We have skin, lots of blood, muscle, tissue, nerves, organs, bone. And somewhere in there, we have lots of water, you know. But our bodies, when in good health, and each piece is working properly, it takes care of itself. And that is what this is saying, is when each piece of the body is working in unity of the spirit and using our gifts and service towards each other, we are producing true love towards one another and becoming one man, the body of Christ. This will serve to take care of itself as Christ cares for us, and it will also draw men to the glory of God as they see what's happening in our community. For anyone that was curious, a ligament is a fibrous connective tissue that attaches bone to bone and usually serves to hold structures together and keep them stable. The part of the body using the gifts given to them by Christ are being held together as they care for each other and share their gifts in relationship to one another. The body will build itself up in love when it is functioning properly. And this is true love. This is a life worthy of the calling that we have received from Christ. So in application steps, I just got two of them. So what do we do with this information? One, commit to unity in the spirit. Stop looking for differences and celebrate. Stop looking for differences to divide and celebrate the commonalities we share. Those are the things that matter most. If we can't spend more time with each other now... How are we going to do that in heaven? When a brother or sister comes to you with something, be quick to restore them gently. Let's forgive each other as Christ has forgiven us. We know the length he went to forgive us. Commit to that type of length to restore others, that they would see Jesus. Find out what your gifts are. That's the second one. What I don't want you to do is limit yourself. I don't want you to make a list of things that you're not. Make a list of all the things you're passionate about in the body and ways that you can use your specific abilities, gifts, and skills in service towards others. 
What if those gifts that we are not actualizing yet are supposed to be used to bring our body to maturity? We want to know about them just as much as you might want to share it. A life worthy of the calling we have received from Christ is expressed in Ephesians 4, 1 through 8 as a life committed to unity of the spirit and a life where you use the gifts you have received from God in service towards others. If we do these things, the body of Christ will mature into the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, which amounts to Christ-likeness. How incredible would it be if people all around Kitsap County said there's a community we are a part of where it seems different. Everyone is different, but they have all things in common. And it doesn't end there. They actually use their abilities and gifts to take care of one another, and it truly seems that they love each other. Wouldn't that be life worthy of the calling that you've received in Jesus? So refuge, will you commit to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received in Jesus? Will you commit to unity of the spirit for the betterment of the body? Will you commit to using the gifts that you have been given to serve other people? Will you commit to be different? Be different. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, the head of the body. Lead us to be people who live in unity of the spirit bound by peace. Allow us to celebrate differences, but also to really revel in what we share. Let us be excited over what we truly have in common and let that spill over into our lives where we use our abilities, gifts, and skills in service to one another. Show us our gifts that we can make use of them in our body. Help us to be concerned with our growth and maturity and not put off by weakness. Be with us that we may be people who live lives worthy of the calling we've received. In your name, amen. Okay, so I'm going to invite you guys to a time of communion. Um, on the night Jesus was betrayed, he was sitting with the disciples, and um, he took the bread and he said, this is my body, which was broken for you, so when you eat of it, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this is the blood, this represents the blood of the new covenant. And when you drink it, you're proclaiming my kingdom, my coming kingdom until I return.